On this episode of the podcast, I tell the guys a tale of conspiracy that manipulated the entire MLB for years. Wow. And years. So, steroids, the live ball era, we've got options here. Were steroids really a conspiracy? Or are we talking about the mafia and its involvement in baseball? Yes. Al Capone and how he pretended to be Babe Ruth. He and Babe Ruth switched lives. (laughs) If you could switch lives with (laughs) Babe Ruth for one day, would you? Well, not now. I don't know, with like the STDs and the Mm. gout and the shot liver. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, would I love to go back in time, stumble up to the plate, (laughs) and then just rock homers, hit dingers all day off of these curly Q mustaches? Yes. Yes, Yes, I would love that. Yeah, okay, I'd do it. Just for a day. We lost the plot a little bit. What What were we doing? Conspiracy in the MLB. So, uh, recline that sofa and loosen that tie, because this is Mismanaged. Yay! Welcome to Mismanaged, a weekly podcast where we kick back and criticize the failings of paid sports professionals while offering them foolproof solutions to all their management woes. I'm Austin Egan. I'm Josh Sleazy. And I'm Nathaniel Westover. Let's get into it. This week, we're talking MLB history. Some good news, though. No trigger warnings this week. (gasps) Yeah. Everyone's safe? Everyone's safe. Well, Everyone that's a fan and loves the game is safe, or is not even loves the game. It's just, you know, not involved in the business side of baseball. So I guess trigger warning all CEOs? They, they don't get trigger warnings. They have a they nice... They know what they've done. They know what they've, they've done. Yeah. Instead of a trigger warning, we can all be collectively frustrated as we talk about the rampant greed of MLB owners and their partner in crime, Commissioner Peter Uberoth. He... Sounds like a villain. Yeah. Uberoth. <laughs> and we're talking about the 80s. I know. And with that name, Cold War. <laughs> villain. Bold strategy, MLB. The topic of our episode this week is the MLB's history of collusion, specifically the scandals of the 1985 to 87 off seasons. Merriam-Webster defines collusion as, <laughs> quote, Secret agreement or cooperation, especially for an illegal or deceitful purpose, unquote. In baseball, collusion refers to owners working together to prevent competitive bidding and keep player salaries down. It also refers to players jointly negotiating with team owners. Both actions are prohibited in the MLB collective bargaining agreement. So tampering. We're just... It's basically tampering. Interesting. But, like, less... It, I guess tampering is part an of act of like tampering. tampering. Like all tampering is collusion, but not all collusion is tampering. Uh, I see. It's a whole uh, jacuzzi hot tub situation. Mm. Mm-hmm. Fingers and thumbs. Before the time of the CBA, owner collusion functioned as a gentleman's agreement. The best example of this being in 1918 when MLB owners released all their non-guaranteed players with the understanding that they wouldn't sign each other's players. In this way, they were able to reset the market through the reduction of player salaries. What seems shady. Oh, yeah. So basically, they were just like, everyone that isn't guaranteed to make money regardless of what we do to them, we'll cut them, and then we'll 
all offer them lower salaries. As, <laughs> as long as we don't have one rogue person that starts signing all yeah, of these guys. one owner that's like, ah! But I then, just want the best players. Like, I'll offer them $5 more. But what, how it functions with ownership is the majority rules. So, like, the owners can make you sell the oh, team. Yeah. So, like, you have to play ball, <laughs> puns, <laughs> or you're out. Another pun. Wow, I'm on a roll today. Strike three. And you're out. Baseball. <laughs> Ironically, it was the owners who insisted on outlawing collusion in the first ever CBA in 1968. <laughs> Their reasons for this arose from the L.A. Dodgers negotiations with star pitchers Sandy Koufax and Don Drysdale. Drysdale, sorry. In 1966. Koufax and Drysdale were integral to the Dodgers 1965 World Series victory, so they decided to hold joint negotiations in order to drive up their salaries. Nice. They originally proposed a joint three-year, one million contract split down the middle between the two of them. Wait, they wanted on the same contract? One contract, two guys. I like it. Or they would walk. Interesting. <laughs> you yes. can have... Both of us? Or, or none, none of us. It <laughs> smells a little bit of Kawhi saying, uh, if you, I'll only sign with you if you trade for Paul George. It has that feel it, to it. Okay, mm -hmm. interesting. It worked out But they only picked well. a million dollars? Well, back then. Yeah, I mean, the that's like $500,000 total each, which is ridiculous. Uh, the Dodgers didn't want to set that dramatic of a precedent, so they refused the proposal, but they eventually signed both Koufax and Drizzle for one-year contracts, for $125,000 and $110,000, respectively. So, Should have stuck to their guns, sounds like. I mean, they those are the still the, <laughs> those, those were the two largest contracts in league history at the time. Whoa. So okay. it would they okay. still... So they did shell out. Oh, Baseball yeah. money hasn't gotten stupid yet. Well, because okay. they still said, okay, we won't take one contract between the two of us, but you sign both of us, so you sign neither of us. Mm -hmm. um, and they were like, and we want ridiculous money. But LA and could have wanted you. So come on in. <laughs> but wanting to prevent star players from similarly strong arming their organizations, the owners agreed <laughs> to terms with the players' union to preclude collusion of both players and owners alike. The next decade would see the players and owners clash over salaries and contract rights. After the 1969 season, Kurt Flood, an outfielder for the Cardinals, was traded to the Phillies in a seven-player seven deal. Flood refused to report to the Phillies, citing the team's dismal record, rundown stadium, and racist fan base. Additionally, Flood had spent 12 years in St. Louis and didn't want to leave. <laughs> like, I made a home here. Seriously, he's like, my entire career has been here, and I'm just getting up and shipped off. So, together with the Players Union, Flood sued the MLB for $1 million and the removal of the reserve clause that depressed salaries and restricted player mobility. The case went all the way to the Supreme Court. All the way to the top! All the, all the way to the top court of the land. With the likes of Jackie Robinson, Hank Greenberg, and Bill Veek testifying on Flood's behalf. While the court ultimately ruled in favor of the MLB, the suit eventually led to the players and owners agreeing to establish free agency in 1976. Wow. Okay. Wow. So basically up to this point, owners could just own players. Yeah. Forever, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like and no, and deal them as they would. Like the only way to get off a team was to get cut or traded, or let your contract run out, just not re-sign. Well, you couldn't, you couldn't sign with another person. Really? They had your right. The reserve clause is like you sign our contracts with us, or you oh. don't play major league. Like, baseball. That's what the oh, whole reserve. No. Yeah, it's like 
owners got to decide if you you play for me or you don't play. I drafted you, so you're on my team forever. It's like a non-compete until yeah. I say no. But the reason why you know teams still had to like pay their players is because some players are like, all right, you either pay me a reasonable amount or I will just go. They're after I'll retire. They're, there are other leagues. Yeah, like the six seasons are all the Every sport has. We'll all go to Japan. A bunch of leagues. Okay. 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 At the time, the average player salary was about fifty-one thousand dollars a year. The first twenty-four free agents averaged new salaries of about two hundred thousand dollars a year. Yep. With the top fourteen free agents making a collective twenty-two million. Over the next ten years, the average salary of players increased by over two hundred thousand dollars which represented unprecedented growth in player salaries, a direct result of competitive free agent bidding. Now we get into the bulk of the story. Hey, I'm ready. On March 3rd, 1984, the 26 team owners unanimously elected Peter Uberoth to be the new commissioner of the MLB. Uberoth was a seasoned businessman with whose only sports experience was as president and CEO of the LA Olympic Organizing Committee. When he was elected, 21 of 26 franchises were actively losing money. Cool, cool. Sounds like a good time. Oh, it was a horrible time. (laughs) The league was bleeding, so unburdened by baseball romanticism, Uberoth went to work. (laughs) It's like, I don't care this is America's game. Exactly. It's not America's pastime to me. He had no baseball experience. Like, he was just brought in to To make run a business and make money. Exactly. Profit, profit, profit. He went to work to turn the tide and help owners and ball clubs make money. Shortly after his election, Uberoth met with league owners in St. Louis, calling them, quote, damned dumb for being (laughs) willing to lose millions just to win a World Series. (laughs) At another owner's meeting in Florida, Uberoth lambasted long-term player contracts, informing owners that it was, quote, not smart to offer them to players. The general message of these meetings was to emphasize profits over winning, revealing Uberoth's plan to increase league revenue through the reduction and control of player salaries. Ah, oh, the pirates method right now. <laughs> Don't care about winning. They only make at least two nickels. <laughs> it, it really only works if you have other teams helping you. <laughs> so, yeah. nice try, Pittsburgh. Stupid Pittsburgh. We're trying. Years after these initial meetings took place, it was discovered that the owners agreed to keep contracts down to three years for position players and two years for pitchers. Seems Woof. That's... Yeah. I see no problem. <laughs> Just right then and there, new commission. They're like, you know what? He's right. Yeah. Let us never offer big contracts. You know, I never thought about it that way. <laughs> Fernando Tatis, Manny Machado, Bryce Harper, 10 to 13-year contracts. Hmm. Mike Trout. Mike Trout was in the list as well. Charity trip. The real drama began after the 1985 season. 35 players were designated as free agents. However, despite the amount of available players, only four switched teams. And those players were not offered contracts by their original team. Stars such as Kirk Gibson, Tommy John, and Phil Neckerow weren't even offered contracts from other teams. That offseason marked the lowest amount of player movement since the inception of free agency almost a decade earlier. To make matters even more suspicious, Yankees owner George Steinbrenner offered White Sox catcher Carlton Fisk a contract, but quickly withdrew the offer after receiving a call from the White Sox front office. Huh. Weird. Come on, George. Odd. (laughs) Some free agent mobility. Hey, you want to come play in the pinstripes? Uh, Wait, no, I'm getting the call. 
Never mind. Never nope. mind. I take that. <laughs> we don't want you. <laughs> no. Go stay in Chicago. Go play in your please, whatever. Please your stay version. in Chicago. Please. please. I have a You're family. Do to me. <laughs> you signed the contract. Ugh. Oh, it's dark. <laughs> Additionally, the owners agreed to reduce roster sizes from 25 to 24. Understandably, these events made players incredibly suspicious, and as a result, the MLB Players Association filed its first grievance in 1986. The grievance would later become known as Collusion 1. <laughs> Collusion ah, 101. <laughs> when you're numbering it, you know you there's know more to come. <laughs> Well, it's a good place to start. It's a good place. What? Midas, just in case. case. They yeah. filed it as Collusion 1 before anything else. They're like, we feel like this we will probably keep like going. This yeah. may happen again. I know these jerks. I know what they'll get up to. But while Collusion 1 was being prepared for arbitration, the 1986 offseason began. Wah, so wah. no investigation has taken place yet. So the owners are like, nothing happened. This worked great. We Let's did it, go round two. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> And they don't suspect a thing. <laughs> once again, a slew of star power was available on the market. And once again, only four players switched teams. One of these players was Expos outfielder Andre Dawson. Well, the was... Expos can't keep anyone, oh, so that's no. not really... You know that. This man... Listen, wait till you hear what this man did to get out. <laughs> he was so desperate to get out of Montreal and off of their rock-hard astroturf that was hurting his knees... Oh my goodness. <laughs> ...that he told the Cubs he would play for them for anything they offered. <laughs> he eventually signed with Chicago on a one-year 500000 deal. A one-year $1 deal. <laughs> it was less than a third of what his open market value would have been. Oof. Similarly, 75% of all free agents were signed to one-year deals. Weird. They're prove-it prove deals. See if they still got <laughs> All of them. Everyone. Is, oh, if you're a free agent, clearly. <laughs> we don't trust anyone. <laughs> and for the first time since the start of free agency... The average MLB salary declined, <gasps> all while MLB revenue increased by 15%. Weird. Ha! Huh. Fascinating. During this time, Ubaroth reiterated his mandates to owners and insisted that they inform him personally if they were planning on to offer a contract longer than three years. <laughs> like, these, this is all recorded, like, information. Oh, no. <laughs> recorded collusion. <laughs> He's like... You tell me. You can tell me if you're going to break the rules. The argument in court's just like, well, I was just interested. You know? Yeah, I, I just find, wanted to know. It's I find, my league. I just got to know what's going on. I find three-plus-year deals fascinating, and I love <laughs> to hear about them. I need to know how they work. In 1987, the increasingly frustrated MLPA, MLBPA filed another grievance. Collusion 2. That's it. And that that's not it. Oh. In September of 1987, Collusion 1 was finally heard by arbitrator Thomas Roberts. Roberts ruled that the owners had violated the CBA and he would be assessing damages that would need to be paid to the players. While the damages were being tallied, the owners decided it was time to change tactics. <laughs> Dig themselves deeper. <laughs> They're like, okay, we got caught. All right, we're, we're that just means we have to do it better. Right yeah, that was just Collusion 1. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Instead of operating under the guise of a gentleman's agreement, they developed an information bank to privately disseminate what offers they were making to free agents, <laughs> negatively affecting players like Paul Molitor, Jack Clark, and Dennis Martinez. In January of 1988, the MLBPA once again filed a grievance, oh. Collusion 3. You're kidding me. What? <laughs> What's I, wrong with that? I, 
can't believe they'd be like, yeah, let's just make an area where we can just tell everybody else what we're going to offer people. Because nowadays people are like, oh, cool. So now I know how to outbid you. Yeah. yeah right? No, it's like an AOL chat of like, hey, guys, going <laughs> to offer him this. Um, if what do you, you think about and it? And then like being not so nonchalant, like, uh, if you want him, you might want to offer him, I don't know, spitball in here, something like this. And then I couldn't outbid you. It, it's gross. That's I just I just don't understand how that works either. Like, there's got to be one guy who's like, I want all the best players. Yeah, yeah right. George Steinbrenner <laughs> at this timeline, it should be. Yeah, but then Chicago threatened to break his knees. <laughs> Spend the money. You can't have our You're players. the Yankees. Year one, he had that exact idea of like, well, I'm going to go out and get these guys. Which Carlton Fisk had this Red Sox legend, but... He was like 37 <laughs> and like super old at this point. So yeah, he, he was like, like four more years left in his. He's, he's like, I'm just going to. Go. He was a catcher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they don't need knees. He's like, I just go and wet my beak a little bit. And Chicago broke his beak. <laughs> like, no, you don't. Uh, sorry, George. Shortly after the third and final grievance was submitted, arbitrator Roberts assessed the league damages at $10.5 million. Additionally, he allowed for seven of the affected free agents from 1985 to operate as new-look free agents. They could go on the open market while maintaining the safety net of their collusion contracts. Nice. So basically what this meant is like, you're a free agent, and if no one signs you, you can keep the contract that, you've that, already that you already signed. Oh, nice. Uh, this allowed star outfielder Kirk Gibson to sign a three-year, $4.5 million deal with the Dodgers. Of course it wasn't done. Oh, well, they have the money. Yeah. <laughs> in October 1989, new arbitrator George Nicolau heard the case of collusion too. Once again, the players won the grievance and were awarded $38 million in damages in addition to allowing for some new-look free agents. Similarly, Nicolau heard collusion 3 and awarded the players $64.5 million in damages <laughs> and allowed for more new-look free agents and you wonder why the baseball players and baseball owners still don't get together to the to this day yeah still like, hating oh well. yeah no yeah, no it's, it's rough this no one thing, trusts anyone in baseball this whole thing the precedent has been set yeah it sets a standard that is still affecting the league yes. to this day uh so he awarded $64.5 million after that one, and he also determined that the owners would have to further compensate affected players for the loss of multi-year contracts and bonuses. Got him. Ooh. In 1990, a final settlement was determined for the three grievances. The owners agreed to pay $280 million to the MLBPA for distribution to players affected by the three collusion cases. And that's in addition to the damages already uh -huh. paid. So already paid. So that's... Yeah. Like so it sounds, sounds like it was worth million, it. something around there. Well, I didn't tally it, but it's actually it's actually higher. It's probably closer to like 380. Woo! Ubroth did not seek re-election after the end of his initial term in 1988. <laughs> really? <Yeah. laughs> Which, yeah, 88 was his last year. So it's like his whole, because it's like four-year terms. And so his whole deal was like well for three or four year terms his whole deal was the collusion thing and he, he left he did what he had he to came do. in he got his paychecks he came in profits went up what are you complaining yeah, I mean, about in his defense <laughs> from a business standpoint he helped save the mlb well when you screw over the labor force yeah, it, yeah. It i mean he orchestrated two landmark tv deals with cbs and espn mm -hmm. while also staving off player and umpire strikes <laughs> 
The MLB was hemorrhaging cash when he entered, and by the time he left, all the teams were breaking even or making a profit. It really is amazing what you can do when you blatantly ignore legal agreements. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty easy. Who needs laws? Well, just I can make you money. <laughs> just ignore this book. You just said you wanted to make money. You didn't say it had to be legal. Ubrov's successor, Faye Vincent, reprimanded the owners, stating, quote, the single biggest reality you guys have to face up to is collusion. You stole $280 million from the players, and the players are unified to a man around that issue because you got caught and many of you are still involved, unquote. So the guy take his job right after was like, okay, I am a commish for the people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I hate you guys. A democratic commissioner. <laughs> He's like, ooh, got to get a good look. Thanks for hiring me. Uh, it's time to screw you guys over. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a bold strategy. The owners decide. Who <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, Uberoth helped Vincent get elected, too. Amazing. Because he was like, ah, I just don't want this. He's like, He's this is too much. Chaos. He's like, I'm here to make money for everyone, and apparently that's a bad thing. Apparently, so. when you try, to be, you try to be the good guy, everyone gets mad at you. If you don't want me, then I'm leaving. <laughs> I'll go over to football. It's fine. <laughs> The ramifications of the collusion scandal echoed for years to come. Many, including Vincent, attribute the 1994-95 player strike to anger of players caused by owner collusion. Yeah. The owners were attempting to impose a salary cap, and given recent history, this pissed players off. <laughs> in short, the strike lasted 232 days and resulted in the cancellation of the World Series and a decade of plummeting attendance and revenue. Effects from the MLB has effects from which the MLB has still not fully recovered. They were averaging at the time of the player strike, stadiums were averaging around thirty thousand in attendance. Those numbers didn't dipped during the strike and didn't get back up to there until two thousand four. Nice. It literally took, took them a, to a decade to get back to it, and still now it people a lot of they lost a lot of their viewership people were like okay yeah. both sides are being incredibly greedy which is fair yes. but there was a lot of stubbornness on uh -huh. both sides because of the <laughs> collusion because of trust yeah. yeah so the owners were like we're making good business sense and the players were like we don't trust you <laughs> i wonder why <laughs> <laughs> on a more positive note some posit that the league expansions which created the marlins rockies diamondbacks and rays were accepted in order to help pay off the collusion settlement in 1990. Rich people got to look out for each other. Heck yeah, man. Basically, the it's theory out there. Basically, the theory is all these owners are like, okay, the 26 of us have to pay this money. What if we Somewhere. got four other billionaires? <laughs> what if 30 people had to pay this money. <laughs> you, you've inherited our debt. Come on, into, welcome to baseball. <laughs> There have been a few allegations of owner collusion since the 80s scandal, but none have provided any proof or been as egregious as the Uberoff era, an era that saved the MLB from financial collapse, but ultimately contributed to a steady decline. Classic mismanagement. Mm. You'll love to see it. You love to see it. But now that we've presented one of the worst, you know, situations of management or mismanagement in MLB history, we're feeling pretty comfortable and confident and presenting our own proposals for those front offices that need our help to make their decisions. Uh, Josh, fire away, my guy. All right, you got it, man. My dear GM this week goes out to Milwaukee Brewers GM, Matt Arnold. Matt. Matt, how's it hanging? Look, the season has just kicked off. So it's hard to say which moves should be made. But in my humble opinion, there's one no-brainer still hanging around in free agency. 
I think the Brewers should go out and sign a player that they had just last year. <gasps> Jed Giroco. Not only would Jed make a nice contribution to the plate and the field, but he would give you some flexibility to make even more moves if you desire. It's a simple request, but one that I think would help your club immensely. Listen or don't. I don't root for the Brewers either way. There you go. <laughs> Do it or don't. Do we it don't, don't care. Die. We don't <laughs> care, on, man. man. It's your job, not ours. <laughs> yep. Uh, so this week, I'm talking to Rick Hahn, GM of the Chicago White Sox. Nice. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, you talked to a few weeks ago. Sounds about right. I also ago. talked to George Steinbrenner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Told him to stay the hell away from our catcher. Stay away from Carl Fisk. <laughs> <laughs> or else. Your team is broken into the spotlight, making the playoffs for the first time since 2008 last year. There can be miracles when you believe. You should win your division. <laughs> and you could be a force to be reckoned with come playoff time. Except... You did lose your star player, Eloy Jimenez, to a ruptured pectoral tendon in spring training. How do you even rupture your pectoral? He was flexing too hard. Ah. He was trying to do that, like, chest pop that Terry Crews did. <laughs> this just came out of his skin. <laughs> and just oh, like, God. just explodes. <laughs> Duh. While you are leaving the door open for him returning this year, you won't have a clear idea of if he'll even return for another 12 weeks as he has to have surgery, heal, and begin rehab. So I suggest you go find a team with a plethora of outfielders. My suggestion is the Yankees and their young prospect, well, not prospect anymore, outfielder Clint Frazier. A guy who, when he's had the opportunity to play in the majors, he's shined. But he's stuck behind Brett Gardner, Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Judge, Mike Talkman, and old man Jay Bruce and Aaron Hicks. They're all on the roster ahead of him. And Frazier's just kind of been the afterthought. Sounds uh, like a real Moses Malone situation. No, yeah. yeah, no, that's a lot of people there. Yeah. Oh, it's it's but too many, many people. How many Hall of Famers? Uh, I'd say two. I think, yeah, I think two in that list. Two. <laughs> you know. uh, Frazier posted his best career numbers in the shortened season last year. And while I don't think he's worth a good prospect like Michael Kopech, I think offering uh, Garrett Crotchet and some cash considerations would be perfect for a pitcher-needy team in the Yankees. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Why don't you listen to it, guy? Hey, guy, why don't you listen to it, fella? This week, I'm addressing Detroit Tigers GM Al Avila. Avila. First and foremost, go Tigers. There it is. Al, the team is in pretty rough shape and has been for several years. The good news is that we're not the worst of the worst anymore. Thank you. Thank you. Looking at you, Pittsburgh. <laughs> we're trying. Yeah, and you're succeeding at failing. Ha! The key... You have so many games to play. Of course you won a game. <laughs> the key is continuing to grind out the slow, painstaking process that is rebuilding a sports franchise. You need to strike a balance of winning games, but not too many. Hey. Well, also, <laughs> hey, watch it. You're winning too many games over there. Be good, but not too good. While also developing youth and acquiring draft capital without giving up the youth you're developing. Yes. It's complicated. Therefore, I it's propose hard. that you go out and sign, I'll be honest, I don't know how to say this guy's name. Give it your best shot. Rognad Odor. It's looking like the Rangers are going to eat his contract after not being able to move him before the opening day, so there's an opportunity here. Odor is 27 years old and has experience playing both second and third base. He also brings a powerful bat, albeit an inconsistent one. 
You can sign him as a utility player, allow him to show some flash with his bat, and then deal him before the trade deadline. You have more luck trading him than the Rangers did since you have longer to find a partner, and he'll be able to regain some of that shine he lost from last season. Oh, I like Odor. Uh, I like the fight he had with uh, Batista. It was awesome. We love that nonsense. If he fights, he belongs in Detroit. Really? Yeah, I've always said that. Every franchise should be tough in Detroit. That's what I say. (laughs) And that's the pod. If you enjoyed this or any of our other episodes, please remember to give us a like or a follow. Maybe even leave a review. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, and anywhere else you may listen to podcasts. In the words of former player and manager Bob Lemon, quote, Baseball was made for kids, and grown-ups only screw it up. <laughs> I feel like we've had a quote from Bob Lemon before. Have we? Um, Sounds like an iconic name. It's a good name. Like I can't forget it. Bob Lemon. <laughs> Bob Lemon. Bobble Man. Hmm. Robert. I don't know. Robert Lemon. There it is. Thanks for listening, and remember, this was Mismanaged.